0: Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Joining me right now for our weekly look at Catholic news around the world, we've got Dr. Matthew Bunsen, Vice President and Editorial Director of the EWTN News, also a Senior Fellow at the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. And you can hear Matthew regularly, Saturdays at 4 p.m. and Sundays at 11 a.m. on Register Radio. So make sure you uh, take advantage of that program. Matthew, good to have you back. Thank you.
1: Yeah, great to be with you in a blessed land.
0: Yes, and to you too. I am, I, I just heard about this case of uh, um, uh, what appears to be an attempt to poison a priest by putting bleach or something in the chalice. Is, is that what happened?
1: That seems to be uh, exactly what uh, the accusation, at least, uh, that's being circulated. And uh, the specifics are that um, this occurred uh, in Italy, uh, specifically in Calabria, so in the southern part of Italy, and involved a priest by the name of Father Felice Palamara, uh, who is a priest in a small village. Uh, in what's called the Vivo Valentia uh, province of Italy. So it, it's sort of out there. And he, as is often the case uh, with other priests, uh, was an opponent or has been a, a vocal critic of the various organized crime elements that are out there.
2: Mm-hmm. There's one
1: in particular uh, that operates in the region of Calabria called the Undrangheta. And Apparently, now this is we'll have to see if the, how the investigation goes here, but apparently there was an effort to poison him or at least to uh, make him seriously ill uh, by bleaching or putting bleach in uh, liturgical vessels, the vessels that he was using for mass, in particular, the chalice. Mm. And uh, he was basically forced to stop mass and. Take steps to report all of this to the local police. Wow. Now we know as well that there had been uh, vandalism uh, that had been uh, inflicted upon his car, and it, it's in keeping uh, with the intimidation uh, that we've been hearing about for a while uh, on the part of what is basically called the Calabrian Mafia uh, against anyone who's standing in their way. This isn't uh, the, the first time that incidents like this have happened. Uh, and I doubt it will be the last.
0: Well, I, you can imagine <clears throat> how difficult it would be for a priest to be, you know, uh, I'm assuming he was in the middle of the liturgy and the words of institution when he detects this bleach smell from the chalice. Yes. And then can't, ending the liturgy at that point. I mean, that's that takes a lot. <laughs>
1: well there's there's another liturgy that took place recently i know we'll probably end up talking about it at some point in, in this hour at st pat that i think a lot of people wish had been ended but uh, <laughs> yes that's a different story <laughs> <laughs> different story uh in this case though yeah i mean i uh, clearly there was something uh seriously amiss and uh subsequent laboratory analysis did confirm that bleach uh, had been poured in, in some fashion into these the vessels that were being used for mass and, and it forced him to take the step. And as I was saying, both he uh, and another priest uh, by the name of Francesco Punto, uh, Punto Rallero, uh also of the same diocese, uh, have been very outspoken in their criticism of uh, what's been going on in terms of the, the Calabrian mafia. And they, they've received great deal of support, to his credit, by the, the bishop of the, this wider diocese, It's the, the Diocese of Tropea Meleto Nicotera, and that's uh, Bishop Attilio Nostro. And, you know, the diocese has been uh, very firm uh, in supporting these priests uh, because they know what they're up against. And mm-hmm. this other priest has received a number of death threats. Uh, and those, unfortunately, are increasingly common, not just in Italy, but in other parts of the world where organized crime uh, has been running rampant. I can think, for example, of a number of states in Mexico, you know Venezuela, and elsewhere.
0: Is there any connection between that story and the story uh, of the relics of Blessed Rosario Livetino, uh, a Catholic judge who had been brutally killed by the mafia in 1990, uh that in fact uh his relics are touring uh naples uh there and um, yeah. that's a, that's itself an interesting story
1: yeah i'm glad that you brought that up because uh this is uh, this incident that has just taken place in calabria as i was saying is not an isolated incident nor is it an unprecedented uh, we know that Naples has been plagued uh, by the presence of mafia uh, for a very, very long time. I mean, in some cases, we're going try to track this back a number of centuries, mm. and it has especially uh, been bad in the recent decades. And in this case, uh, a Catholic judge, as you, you said, Blessed Rosario Libatino, uh, who was murdered uh, by the mafia, uh, and subsequently beatified uh, in sicily uh, in 2021 so he is uh, a model i mean he was declared by pope francis uh, a martyr and he was declared that because as pope francis said he died as the phrase is an odium fide wow. which is hatred of the faith and that is Obviously, a key phrase, but mm-hmm. he, he was given the martyr of justice because mm-hmm. this is somebody as a judge who was doing what he could.
0: What were the uh, circumstances? To
1: prosecute.
0: What were the actual Go circumstances ahead. of his death?
1: Yeah, uh, well, he was uh, working as a prosecutor and was trying to bring a lot of these uh, members to justice. Uh, it's the system of the mafia presence, bribes and kickbacks and other things is called tangent properly. And uh, he was, at the time, only 37 when he was serving Mm. in the court. He was uh, attacked uh, near the Agrigento courthouse. Uh, A car smashed into his. Uh, It skidded off the road. He knew, of course, what was happening, jumped from uh, his car, and tried to escape by fleeing into a field. Uh, But he was subsequently shot, and then uh, they sprayed him with more bullets. And there's actually still a very interesting plaque on the highway uh, where he was actually killed. And then the plaque, it says martyr of justice. And yeah. um, So um, Pope Francis recognizing this and, and we have seen, as I said, violence like this in the past uh, when the church has been so outspoken uh, against what's happening. So in this case, Uh, what we're seeing is his relic, because he is a blessed, uh, is being taken across the archdiocese of Naples. This is at the encouragement of uh, the archbishop there by the name of Domenico Battaglia, uh, who himself has condemned Naples and the the bloodbath that has been taking place in recent years. So again, the violence continues. So what they're trying to do is to take the relic, of Blessed Rosario into schools, into churches, but also notably into prisons, where they're hoping that uh, he can influence some of those who have been imprisoned and who've been involved in this violence, in this gang violence for so long.
0: Mm. I I, I would imagine it, it, his life story would make a good movie. Uh, not it to would. trivialize uh, it, but I just think we need no, stories no, I, like I, that.
1: I, Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. I, I completely agree. I mean, he's he's uh, absolutely a hero. And he's also something of a role model uh, for those who have been victims of the many crimes that have taken place uh, involving not just the, the Neapolitan mafia uh, that is called the cancer and everything else, but just the, the sheer violence that's been taking place in other places because of organized crime.
0: Um. What's the follow-up on this uh, weird funeral service that took place at St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York? Last I heard is the ACLU ACLU was actually getting involved, um, claiming that some injustice uh, had been committed by the Archdiocese by denying a funeral mass uh, to this um, deceased, Cecilia Gentili. Uh, Strange stuff. Where are we with Uh
1: Yes. Uh, well, uh, one thing, I think since the last time that you and I talked, uh, Cardinal Dolan has actually weighed in on this uh, on his uh, weekly podcast. Uh, and he mm-hmm. lauded the, the staff of the, the cathedral uh, for, on the one hand, trying to be welcoming, mm-hmm. uh, and on the other then, actually having what I think he would describe as the, the wherewithal and the forethought to quickly pivot from what was initially apparently supposed to be a funeral mass to a funeral service which of course is a very very different thing that's right but he also did note uh, that what happened there uh, was highly inappropriate to say the least Uh, but almost on cue uh, we have Uh, A group like the ACLU and the transgender, the very radical transgender group that apparently helped arrange uh, this funeral held a a press conference uh, complaining. uh, And and again, this will come as no surprise to anyone that they did this, uh, that they were complaining, that they were mistreated, that they were entitled as though they, they rented out the space. (laughs) <laughs> uh, for <laughs> we,
0: we rented out the space, so you lost.
1: <laughs> yes, I mean basically, they they felt that they had been denied the full package uh, of the liturgy uh, of, the, of the Mass and. Considered and basically described themselves as victims in this case. The other curious aspect about it uh, is that we now also have um, what we might describe as contradictory statements because from the beginning, when when we had the original New York Times reporting, the organizers of this funeral service uh, basically said that yes, they were not entirely forthcoming with the staff at St. Patrick's. Uh, And didn't really delve into the fact uh, that the deceased person was a transgender, apparently atheist activist. Yeah. And used that in order to gain access to St. Patrick's. And the reasoning behind it, they said, was that the person who died, Cecilia Gentili, uh, was an icon to the whole transgender community. And therefore, they wanted to have a funeral service for this person in St. Patrick's Cathedral, which is also an icon for the whole community. When everything erupted that we've been following, what did they say? Well, they claimed that they were upfront about it, So we have dueling statements from the same organization. Okay,
0: okay. Uh, Hold it there, Matthew. Take a break. We'll continue the conversation. Dr. Matthew Bunsen, my guest, taking a look at stories of special interest uh... to catholics taking place all over the globe i'm al cresta good afternoon i'm al cresta with me dr matthew bunsen we closed off last segment talking about this confrontation that occurred on February 15th at New York city, St. Patrick's cathedral. Um, a, a funeral mass had been scheduled for unbeknownst to the uh, archdiocese, a noted transgender activist. And, um, uh, the cathedral staff recognized, uh, early on as the, the mass got underway that, wait a minute. Um, we shouldn't be conducting the liturgy here. Uh, We will offer a funeral service. Uh, And there was a pushback from the transgender community and the ACLU. But I think the question most of us are interested in is what are the grounds for denying uh, a Catholic funeral mass? I mean, this happens regularly, I guess. Um, so can you tell us, Matthew, what the canon law requires? Or,
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, it, it, I would first encourage everyone to go to com because uh, one of our great reporters, uh, Matt McDonald, uh, has looked into this whole issue because you're absolutely right. It's a question that was asked uh, about this particular case. Uh, Now, we know that, at least according to the archdiocese and and initial press reporting from the statements of this group, let's reiterate this, they basically misled the archdiocese, and therefore that's how they they gained access. But the question that has been asked throughout uh, is what exactly are the parameters uh, for actually denying someone uh, a funeral, a Catholic funeral? in particular a funeral mass and not to steal or to bury the leader or anything like that, but the upshot is that those are actually now extremely rare that you would actually be denied uh, a funeral. Okay. Uh, in, in part, because there has been a very much a shift uh, toward pastoral care, toward doing what we can uh, to be a welcoming church. Uh, now, As we can document readily, there are a number of exceptions, certainly in the new code, uh, where it is possible to deny someone. In that case, the the canon law is clear that the Church can deny a funeral to someone who is—here's the key, it's canon 1184, I think—to unrepentant, notorious apostates, heretics, and Mm schismatics— those who choose cremation for reasons contrary to the Christian faith, meaning that they openly and publicly and obdurately deny the resurrection, and other manifest sinners whose funeral would cause public scandal. Now, what's important about that is that that is somewhat open to interpretation as to what we mean by scandal. Mm -hmm. So it has the important provision in there, too, that if there's doubt, the local ordinary is to be consulted and he's the one who will make uh, the, the judgment that, has, that should be followed. Okay. And then that's actually followed in the code by saying that any funeral mass must also be denied a person who is excluded from ecclesiastical funerals. In some cases, for example, if someone who's ex- publicly excommunicated that sort of thing. Now, the question that's logical to ask is, would uh, Cecilia Gentili reach any of these categories and i think that's a question more for discussion uh had the archdiocese known about this person that's my guess is that it probably would have gone forward hard to say because uh, i can't speak for the archdiocese but probably with a funeral service rather than a funeral
2: mass yeah
0: i, I mean she remained to the end of her life uh an, an activist uh and it looks as though the funeral they they wanted the funeral to take place as a way of bringing one icon uh, in conflict with another icon. Um there, there wasn't it didn't look as though there was a concern for pastoral care. It looked there's this was an attempt to create some political theater.
1: Um, yeah, exactly, so, and, and and that was the goal here, uh, and certainly anyone who watched the funeral itself I, be honest I, I did watch the entire thing uh, it was theater I think you're using the exact word and it, it, you, you begin to run out of adjectives uh, in terms of the behavior that was going on yeah. uh, throughout the funeral so it, it would certainly fall into the heading for many many Catholics uh, a scandalous uh, action now in the past uh, based on the 1917 code and based on other things Uh, Catholic funerals were denied uh, people probably on a much more regular basis. Um, For example, cremation uh, would disqualify it right up until 1963 uh, when that was loosened up. Suicide, uh, dying in a duel for example.
2: Uh,
1: And in in many cases in the United States, and this flows from I think one of the councils of Baltimore in 1884, that uh, those who are divorced and civilly remarried uh, could lead to the denial of a, of okay. a funeral, so we're seeing though uh that the eighty three code with a much more pastoral intent uh eliminated the provisions regarding suicide and dual suicide in particular because as, as you and I have even talked, our understanding we have a deeper understanding right. of what can lead to suicide
0: yes yes no very true and, and and
1: even and even the 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 congregation of the doctrine of the Faith back in the seventies uh Listed the ban that was in place for funeral masses for what was then considered irregular matrimonial situations. Mm-hmm. So there, there is this broadening of of being allowed to have a funeral. Uh, that the question that in our reporting that's notable too is that uh, how many how the numbers are declining for people who are actually bothering to have funeral masses for loved ones. Mm.
0: Well, um, one thing to point out here is that uh, in the question of suicide, this is actually a, a positive example of how yes. the social sciences have helped us reconsider our pastoral approach.
1: Right. Yeah. But it, but it's also but that's uh, because a lot of people will automatically ask that question, and then what about things like homosexuality and other things? Right. We always have to differentiate that.
0: Sure. Sure. Right, uh, but
1: but exactly, and and I think that's an important part of of any discussion, and and why when there is a, a question about could someone be denied, um, the issues of what would be appropriate are addressed, and I think there is a predisposition toward allowing it. I mean, that's certainly what we're finding. Yeah. Yeah. Now, there's a great point that's made in the article by a, a canon lawyer by the name of Monsignor William King, who teaches at the Catholic University of America, and that is that uh, the oftentimes the, we, we're losing a sense of what a funeral is for. And, and I, I would propose that the, the funeral for Cecilia Gentili is a textbook definition of this, that they keep calling funerals a celebration of life which is, in any ways, a confusion of what the purpose of a funeral is. And, and he makes the note that it isn't a celebration of life of the individual. It's a celebration of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus.
0: Yes. Very right.
1: good. without which the life of individuals has no meaning. But he, he also makes a great point uh, right at the end where he says that um, we have objective circumstances which could indicate sin. And he said, but now the focus is on the individual and perhaps the recognition that the person could benefit from the grace of the mass, not seeing it as a reward for virtuous living, but as a petition for mercy. Yeah. But the, here's, here's the kicker. He says, we can't see a funeral mass as a reward for a virtuous life. Otherwise, we wouldn't have many.
0: <laughs> well, uh, let me just go to a, a popular misunderstanding. Uh, it's common um, in, in popular movies and novels to uh, show the hypocrisy of the church by right. uh, having funeral masses for notorious and well-known uh, figures in organized crime. Um, yes w- whats what's our track record on that?
1: We actually uh, 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 this is one of the most interesting parts. I'm glad you talked about that because uh, there is actually a fairly long track record of denying funeral masses to mafia bosses who have been killed, in particular in violent situations, to use the the colloquialism, who were were killed in mob hits. Mm. Uh, For example, the Archdiocese of New York in 1979 denied a funeral uh, for Carmine Galante. Uh, They they denied a funeral in 1985 for Paul Castellano. Uh, The Diocese of Brooklyn uh, in 1986 denied a funeral mass for uh, boss Frank Pachico. I mean, the list goes on and on. Two of the, One of the most famous uh, would have to be uh, in 2002 when the Diocese of Brooklyn denied a funeral match for John Gotti.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And he was not killed in a mob. Yet. He right. actually died uh, of cancer in, in a prison. Nevertheless, they did allow him to be buried in uh, a Catholic cemetery. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's also not unheard of to send someone uh, to the graveside uh, of a priest there to say prayers at the gravesite. Oh, so again there's that that potential for mercy, but again, how much scandal could it actually create? Now, it's a fair question too, about why notorious or individuals who held positions that were so diametrically opposed to the teachings of the church were granted very lavish and very public funeral masses. And that's a decision that we can see being made on a pretty regular basis by uh, archbishops and bishops and, and dioceses, and, and it's hard to sort of do a blanket statement as to why you would or wouldn't be.
0: Yeah, I this, yeah, this is one of those things where you, they, they these are decisions that have to be made. The the final, we we actually don't know many times. Uh, who receives the grace of final repentance, and, and who doesn't? And so, I would think uh, the church will tend to be um, err on the side of mercy. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't get too excited about this because, right? You know, it's not my, not my call. <laughs> it's
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. Right, and and we can all hope uh, that when our time comes, that we have loved ones who have the presence of mind to understand that we would want to be buried in the faith, that we would want to be sent off uh, with the rights that are appropriate to Catholics. Because one one of the things that we're seeing is that we have these generations now where uh, young people who have left the faith or people who are embittered about the faith or Mm -hmm. or whatever their circumstances, either it doesn't even occur to them or— they take their grievances against the church out uh, by making sure that their parents or grandparents don't receive the burials that they want in the church.
0: That's right. That's right. Matthew, hold it there. We'll take a break, continue the conversation. My guest, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, our topic, well, it's our weekly look at Catholic news around the world. I'm Al Cresto. Good afternoon, I'm Al Crest. I was a little off mic there, I'm sorry. But uh, I was looking, I was reaching across my my desk here to pick up an article that uh, I wasn't sure I'd run with it. But given we talked about this um, funeral service for this transgender activist, uh, we also learned uh, this week that the Archdiocese of New York had to um, put the kibosh on a uh, an event called Improv for kinky people. Now you know by the title of it, you can imagine uh, what might be uh, can, what's going to be going on during a performance of that sort. And I won't go into the details because it's pretty grotesque. But I bring it up. Because this was scheduled at the Sheen Center for March 4th. And I th- are we going to see more of this stuff where people actually try to um, go push to fo- force the church to um, use the church's moral authority to approve of kinky stuff?
1: Yeah, I, I think that's uh, uh, a question that was asked in light of the funeral of uh, Cecilia Gentili, that, uh, and I predicted at the time almost immediately that uh, we would see many more efforts to have very public, very lavish, and uh, very performative funerals mm-hmm. uh, for people who hold positions radically opposed to the teachings of the Church, either weddings—we uh, know that there was one— uh, in, contradiction contradiction of of church teaching and fiducia suplicans in Spain. I know we can talk about that briefly. But this, I think, is uh, something that would flow from that quite logically. That Yes, I think they're going to try to book space uh, or to rent space or to somehow use space uh, that's owned by the church in order to make these very public, and I'll use that word again, performative statements uh, about their agendas. And this one is um, particularly unpleasant uh, because of what's being, what was proposed here.
2: Yeah.
1: And I, I, one thing that jumps out at this is how did it, and, and this goes back to the question about St. Patrick's. how did it get so far uh, where an event actually had to be canceled rather than they were simply told the moment that the proposal was put forward, uh, what were the circumstances? Did this group lie to them as to what was actually going to happen at the Sheen Center? What were the circumstances? Because I think that what we're seeing now is that every diocese, every parish is going to have to be hyper vigilant when people come to you and say, we'd love to use your space for our dot, dot, dot. And it turns out uh, that this is a group that uses words in the same sentence of bedroom or dungeon. So I'll just leave it at that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is this was uh, apparently to take place at the Sheen Center. Uh, I, I I can't help but think that this was intended to create a scandal. Um, I'm glad they caught it, but I agree with you. How did it, who who shepherded it through the process uh, as far as it went? Yeah.
1: Right. I mean, it, but it's also connected. I would argue to what we're seeing on a very regular basis uh, on Catholic campuses colleges and universities, uh, I can think recently of uh, some of the uh, egregious things that were being put forward, like at the University of Notre Dame, uh, at, the, at the University of America, I believe uh, one of the professors invited an abortion doula uh, to speak, and that was, to the great credit of Catholic University, uh, to their great credit, they that was stopped immediately. Okay, And Steps were taken. And I think that's the statement that people are waiting to see uh come out of some of these events. And and I think the way that, for example, the Archdiocese of Madrid uh responded to what was this private civil marriage last weekend. In go, ahead, go ahead go ahead and
0: we chapel. didn't yeah, we didn't go into the details there. Go ahead and tell for listeners yeah. who are unfamiliar with it. Set set this up. This is it yeah, very frustrating. Go ahead.
1: Well, yes, it is. Uh, so essentially, um, there was a, a, a private Catholic chapel where two Spanish men celebrated a civil marriage, and uh, all of this happened. Uh, it's called the Holy Trinity Chapel. It's located on the grounds of what's called the Finca El Campillo, which is it's generally used as uh, a wedding venue in the town of El Escorial, but it's run by the church. So uh, the pastor of the nearby parish in El Escorial uh, had no idea, apparently, that this had been allowed or this had taken place. And the statements almost immediately from the archdiocese, I think, were very helpful because the the pastor himself uh, was making the point that none of this took place with his permission. So it always raises the question okay, who knew and gave that permission yeah. for this to have happened? Yeah. And you can find on social media, I don't recommend it, but you can find on social media quite readily uh, a lot of video and, and photos of this ceremony. And it took place in uh, the middle of this chapel in front of an image of uh, the Virgin of Hakuna. You can see it. Uh, at one point, the two men knelt on white kneelers in front of the statue, and notably, and this is where it gets especially frustrating to use your word, the men were draped in white cloth with blue stripes uh, that is very reminiscent of the Mozarabic liturgy, which is fairly unique uh, to Spain. And in this case, the wife uh, and the, the the wife's head and the husband's shoulders are covered, and so they basically just duplicated uh this Mozarabic rite this element of that
2: wow.
1: and you can, so this was posted again i have to say that too that the credit of the archdiocese uh they reiterated that they that chapels like this cannot be used for commercial purposes or as places of civil celebrations and the strength of the statement to me is particularly interesting because of the archbishop of madrid who is Uh, Cardinal, Jose Cobocano, who was named a Cardinal just last year uh, by Pope Francis. He's considered a Pope Francis Cardinal, Mm -hmm. with all of that implies, at least in terms of progressive media.
2: Sure. Uh,
1: And he is also an expert in Catholic social teaching. So to come out like this is also, I think, an awareness on the part of, certainly, church authorities in Europe of the potential ramifications and, again, misuse of fiducia supplicans.
0: Okay, did they make an explicit appeal to that?
1: No, but it's it's clear that uh, by reiterating uh, that family chapels can only be used for the purpose that the Church grants them, Uh, it's very clear that there is a concern about authorities being informed or consulted when these types of events take place because there is this effort. We were just talking about people trying to use venues like the Sheen Center. There will be an effort to manipulate the Ducha let
0: me Let me go to uh, another story here. Uh, uh, again, heart-moving story. Uh, actor Gary Sinise paying tribute to a son who died Uh, Apparently, uh, this uh, young man had a a vibrant uh, Catholic faith. What can you tell me?
1: Yeah, uh, this has been—it's a beautiful story uh, that uh, Gary Sinise's son, uh, McKenna Anthony Sinise, he uh, died at the age of, I think, 33 and had been— He used the the traditional phrase battling or fighting for five and a half years Mm -hmm. with a very rare spinal cancer, Doma. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Uh, And the diagnosis came around the same time, I believe, that uh, Gary Sinise's wife, uh, Moira, uh, was also diagnosed uh, with breast cancer. So this was uh, a terrible time for the family. And Thaddeus has talked very much about how his Catholic faith, he's a convert, uh, really gave him the strength to get through all of this. And I want to read, if I can, just a a, a small statement that he made. Yeah, please. uh, That he wrote, his son was called Mac. And Gary wrote that Mac was a man who loved his Catholic faith, and there's no doubt that his strong faith sustained him through the awful five-and-a-half-year battle uh, with his crippling cordoma cancer. And he said, like any family experiencing such a loss, we are heartbroken. But he added then that the really terrible part, as parents, it is so difficult losing a child.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's... uh, yeah it's, whenever you hear stories of this sort obviously <laughs> your mind goes to um what it would be like and uh it's an experience i hope i never have to face but uh, yeah. i'm i'm glad to know a grace was there answer. yeah yeah but they, grace exactly. was there they, and that's encouraging
1: I, I, you're absolutely right and so there's a uh Gary Finice Foundation i know that does a tremendous amount of uh work in the United States and I think around the world. And um, so it, it's a loss, but at the same time, it's the demonstration of how we can face loss and how terrible suffering like that is given meaning by faith.
0: Uh, let me g- go to a story here that I I did not come across until today, and that is um, that the skull of St. Jean de Brebeuf. I don't know exactly how to pronounce this name, Uh, is now making its way across the United States. Tell me what this is about.
1: Yeah, uh, well, we have been blessed, it seems to me, over the last few years by having some great relics that have made their way across the United States. I think uh, the relics of Teresa of Lisieux. Yeah, that was a big one. Uh, We recently had St. Jude, uh, who uh, has been making, the relic has been making its way around the United States. Uh, So if it comes anywhere near you in your diocese, it's a tremendous experience. I think also the the relics of John Vianney at one point were here in Washington D.C. for a while, and in this case, uh, the Father Jean de Brébeuf, who is uh, one of the most famous of the Black Robes, uh, who was martyred by the Iroquois uh, in the middle of the 17th century, uh, he is still well known. Uh, You know, one quick thing about the Black robes the Jesuits who were sent into the wilderness of the New World. We have this image of these grizzled, barely educated missionaries going out. <laughs> you know, the, the, the the Jesuits sent the best and the brightest they had. Absolutely. Because that's how much they loved and wanted to bring Christ to the, the indigenous, to the native peoples of North America. Yeah, so you not getting the cast off.
0: This is when Jesuits were giants. So,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yes. And he was, and so, in this case, the tour uh of his skull uh has been slowly progressing across the United States. I think it began uh earlier this month in Colorado, and I think it's uh will end in New York City on March sixth, and some of the other relics include uh, that of uh, Gabriel Alleman and uh, Charles Gagnier. so again, these great martyrs and It's just an opportunity to be connected directly uh, with these saints and to take that moment and appreciate what they gave and how much they're still giving to us today.
0: Very good. Matthew, uh, we're out of time, unfortunately. uh, It's always shorter than I like, but thank you for being with me.
1: It's a privilege to be with you. We'll talk soon, Lord.
0: Dr. Matthew Bunsen, uh, will have many of the stories we discussed. I'm all the stories we discussed. Uh, we'll have follow-up information for you in the Crest to Guest archives at avemariaradio.net.